This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. Today on the Green Box Show, we're going to talk about splitting the party because it's something that comes up sometimes, and I actually had a pretty good time doing it, even though I don't usually like to have the players do that. Um, and I thought it might be fun to dig into the circumstance, dig into first of all why people usually don't want to do it, but also some circumstances in which it can be fun and interesting, what benefits it can provide, and how to make it uh, more fun for everyone involved. Should we do a demonstration by splitting the podcast? We could. Um, yeah, Tom and I will go into room one, and you guys stay here and talk about it. And what, I'll, what I'll do is I'll put two of us on the left channel and two of us on the right channel. Yes, just like um, there's several tracks on, uh, I forget the name of the album, that um, Caretaker album. Uh, there's like two or three songs on the same album as all you're going to do is get back there that go from the left ear to the right constantly, and it's fucking horrible. And we're going to do that I was today. I say, like, I was going to say, unironically, whenever we do something with impossible landscapes, we should do that when we talk about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you're going to need to mix it that way, bud. The uh, split the party is in an RPG when some of the group goes to one place and the other group, the rest of the group goes somewhere else, or otherwise they go. And the, the main feature of this is that it puts a demand on the guy running the game, uh, the guy whoever's running the game, to adjudicate essentially run two separate scenes or more than two at the same time and somehow make that experience enjoyable manage what's going on and give everyone a chance to actually play the game even though obviously only certain members of the group can actually act at a given time all right uh oftentimes um maybe not so much in delta green uh but especially in games where you have to fight a lot a lot of the time uh, splitting the party is something that's discouraged for players to do. They'll say not to do it because, first of all, it generates that extra workload for the GM, but also in a game where the expectation is that you're fighting all the time, dividing your forces, it's a bad idea. It's how Napoleon lost at Waterloo. Well, in a different game, like, say, D&D 5e, where you're supposed to use some sort of XP CR calculator to make sure that your encounters are all balanced, those are going to be out of whack, so... You're going to go in there with like half your people and you're not going to be able to accomplish it because you don't have enough actions per round or you don't have the right damage to overcome this resistance or you're missing your caster or something like that. Uh, you also see it a lot uh, in, I see it's a very big meme in uh, like Call of Cthulhu Facebook groups, which I guess makes it uh, relevant to Delta Green. But everyone's always like, don't split the party, don't split the party, it's a bad idea. But why is that? Why is it always such a bad idea? In an investigative game, because I, I disagree with that. Well, so in a in a horror adventure, splitting up makes you easier to pick off and kill one at a time because, um, just from a from a, a design perspective in Delta Green, there are a lot of things in the game that have a much easier time killing you if you're alone. There's a lot of creatures in the book and a lot of human beings who basically don't stand a chance against three to four guys with guns, but against one person will eat you alive. Like. Uh, the dude in control copy. His whole stick is that he has to lure one dude to that to the house because he's not going to be able to take all of you in a straight fight. He could maybe throw one of those grenades he's got lying around disguised as other bullshit, but his whole thing is is that he's gonna he's gonna eat your ass if you split up. So, you know, don't do it. Except 
there are valid reasons to doing it, and there are ways to make it fun to split up as the players. And there's ways that the GM can handle it that'll make it better. So that's what I want to talk about today. Yeah, I think it's actually an advantage in an investigative game, because then the players can cover more ground, can explore more leads. And especially if the scenario has some kind of internal timeline, then if everybody goes off and investigates uh, a different potential source of information, it's not too hard for them to get ahead of the curve on that. It is beneficial for the players, especially if it's you know, like you said, if it's on a t- if you're on a timetable, it can also be helpful for um, the handler. If the handler is running a scenario that has things happening simultaneously, then one of the problems that can cause is that. If the players are at one place and stuff's happening simultaneously all over the game world, you run into this situation where either you have all this stuff happening in the background that they may never discover, and so then it feels like um, there's all this stuff happening that's not telegraphed, which is fine because you know you want to create like a believable type game world, except that it falls into the, one of the pitfalls of an espionage game, which is um, that it can be very difficult to link what's happening to your own actions like see how something that's happening is a consequence of what you did because so much of that's happening off screen but the the other thing that can happen is um sometimes as as a handler there's a temptation to say well all right you know that part of the game world is essentially in like a, a state of superposition it doesn't exist yet or it hasn't been resolved until the players see it like those NPCs aren't going to go around and start doing stuff because the players haven't met them yet, and they wouldn't. There wouldn't be any context. But then you're, you've got a world essentially that only exists while you're looking at it. So having having the players be able to go around and and do different things at the same time is if if that's an expectation, then you can set up a world that has a lot more moving parts. Uh, I think also um, speaking as something that's a. Uh, but I, th- I think that players are generally pretty smart and they don't want to split up most of the time because they know that the game world is a lot more dangerous when you're on your own. And they especially don't want to split up if they t- if they built a character type that doesn't do well in, in a straight fight by themselves. I think that it's one of the it's, it's yet another thing that kind of incentivizes people to make federal agents and special operators. If there's the expectation that you're going to have to go out on your own, you don't want to have to rely on someone else to defend you. One way that you can, that you can mitigate the additional GM workload of having a split party uh, straightforward as it sounds actually is to plan for it and include it into the scenario because if you know it's coming if you can plan around it you can design things so that you're not putting players in a situation where they're at half the numbers where they should be or have half the number of resources they should and you can also sort of design story beats around that you can have clear points where you say okay we're going to flash back to the other group now yeah meanwhile back at the ranch is a good yes. way to look at it um and it's actually a boost for players because say you're using it to build tension, like you've just put something up, a big scary discovery or some big revelation for one group, and then you flip back over to the other group of players. Well, the ones that you That's left good, yeah. there now have some time to think about what they want to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they want to go off to another room and plan something out or, uh, you know, just talk or, or think about it, they have more time now to come up with what they want to do. So it can actually speed things up at the table even more. And that's a classic horror trope, not even even just a horror trope, that's a classic trope of drama, isn't it? To have uh, something external occur that divides the uh, the characters into two groups and then they have to go and you know hope that they'll meet up later and then you switch back and forth. It's a very Scooby Doozy and you know there's um there's a game I saw that does this on Steam called We Were We Were Here or We Were There or something where the premise is you and a buddy you like an actual person you, you both play this game it's a co-op game 
uh, you've got like great, like a walkie-talkie, but you're physically separated in different parts of this like like castle or whatever. And so you have to kind of work together to navigate the castle and figure out how to get out, how to how to how to reunite. So so far, we talked about how it's good for uh, people who write and run scenarios to encourage people to split the party. But uh, you don't need to guys- encourage it. But I I would say um, one one thing that I I've found is that you shouldn't. If it's a behavior that you want to see, you shouldn't punish it because there's ways that you can definitely punish it. Because if you're being tracked by a monster and someone splits up, someone leaves the group and immediately they get devoured, then players are never going to do it again if they're smart. So you would at least want to signal what situations it was appropriate to do that in. Right. You mentioned earlier that you kind of need incentives sometimes for players to play something other than federal agents or special operators. Uh, splitting the party right before they know trouble is about to come up is a good idea. I think uh, there was a game where I was playing a special operator and Tom was playing an anthropologist. And my guy basically shoved all the clues and all the findings into Tom's character's hands. And uh, we were just like, hey, it's going to get really bad here. You know, if we don't come back, uh, it's on you to pick this up. No pressure. I had a... uh... Uh, situ- one one thing that I've found is that um, I will, in 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 accordance with not like harshly punishing um, uh, people who who've split off their group to go and like do interesting things, I sometimes will, one thing that that is this nice is to have the um, the NPCs are going to react differently to different people. So if I had I had a, a, a situation where there was a group of Deltarian agents that was in the town and there was one. Um, there was one guy who decided to go leave the hotel and go to the bar late at night, the only bar in the town. And he got to the bar and there were a group of um, Cthulhu cultists and a group of, of um, deep ones at the table. And they all had kind of an idea that he was some kind of intelligence agent, but because he was just one person and because they um, are at their core evangelists rather than senseless murderers, they invited him to drink with them. And so we had a whole sequence where he had to sit down and drink with all of the cultists who were pretending to be normal. But the thing was that the cultists were used to um, using the ritual soothing song to suppress all of their insane tendencies. But because the ritual didn't work in the town due to a, a giant elder sign being cast over the area, they were going increasingly, they, they, they got increasingly erratic as the night went on until he um, had to finish his beer and leave because he was worried one of them was going to stab him. So that's your way of... Uh having a player who was split away from the party and he was in danger, but it didn't result in a big knockdown drag out shootout fight. Right. So that's well, like, because, one way. because they, they, um, yeah, they could have very easily, uh, don't hold it, but they also, they also, they reacted differently to him because it was only one guy and he was able to get a lot of information about them from that interaction. But it's something that wouldn't really have worked if there had been, um, that's a, that would for one thing that was a scene that wouldn't have worked with uh, with a lot of people because one of the things that happens if there's a group of five people trying to talk to an NPC is that everyone kind of tries to insert themselves in and there's not a natural flow of conversation it's just it's kind of like how we do here where it's one question after another that everyone is desperate to insert in whenever they can. I think that's a good point though that splitting the party is a lot less punishing if bad stuff can happen to you but the consequence isn't instant death. And the way you avoid it is fighting your way out. Yeah, because one one thing is that um, you're never what there, there's uh, we we know we know that people in this game uh, and in RPGs generally do not ever surrender. 
no one is dumb enough to get captured unless the enemy is using some kind of stun weapon that bypasses the actual choice the player would make. The one circumstance I can see it happening is that type of ambush. And then um, I think it was Ken Hyde or maybe Robin Laws. One of the Pelgrane team had a thing where they they said um, in order to make players not act like that, one thing you can do is that you can have you can you can have people getting captured as a normal story beat, but have it um, benefit them somehow because they can get information or they can get an opportunity to get inside a place they wouldn't normally have access to. But you can also, and we talked a little bit about this in the previous segment, but one thing you can also do to get around that is to start the adventure after the players get captured. Yeah, but then, we, but then we've moved beyond um, how we can use splitting the party to create an inter- interesting narrative beats and into how to open a scenario with a particular uh, setting conceit. Yeah, that's a matter for. So I agree. Time. So I agree with you, but it's 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 a different um, is a topic for another day. Yeah, how else can we split the party to advance things forward? Because uh, that that should be the goal, right? We should always be kind of moving the scenario forward. Dilly dallying is not fun for anybody. You could play off character motivations and present the players with a situation where a couple of people think, "Oh, this is a great opportunity. We need to jump on this," and the others are thinking, this is a terrible idea. This is an obvious trap. Why would we ever go do that? If a player wants to walk into a trap, you should absolutely let them, like, like let them know how dumb it is. And if they still want to go anyways, I mean, it's what their character would do, right? Yeah. See what you did there. One of the most common reasons I see to split the party is that there's a kit where there's one or more characters that have a different goal or have some kind of something that they're trying to do without the rest of the group getting in the way. Whether it's, you know, like trying to murder everybody or just a, a some some objective they have that doesn't agree with the rest of the group. Wasn't there a game where Dole went off on his own because he he heard of some fancy meme gun or something and he wanted to get a hold of it and then he died, right? He didn't well he he didn't he didn't split the party there. He just he just waited in a hallway cuz he was trying to take a um uh I think it was like some kind of Narinko piece of shit off of a dead um, PLA soldier. Is this a meme? Yeah, I can't a... tell. No, this is this is 100 no. what happened in the game. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is a real game. Kevin ran where we were raiding a facility in China, and we were about to get away. And at the last minute, Dole stayed behind because he wanted to loot somebody's gun. Jesus Christ! He made, he, I, I'm he, not sure he, if that was a character motivation or a player motivation. 100 though. Kevin said that that scenario was designed to replicate the video game Escape from Tarkov, and that's 100% a Tarkov moment. It is. Uh, He's about to get, like, bum-rushed by the little NPC guys coming in. The fucking scabs got him. He could escape from Tarkov, but he couldn't escape his own gun fondling. Yeah. Well, what he should have just done is moved to Canada. He just moved to Canada because it's not illegal to import Norenko's weapons there. It's like the one gun that Canadians are allowed to have is SKSs. So that's uh, a character acting on a motivation and kind of, I don't know if it's splitting. He's definitely separated himself though, but uh, what other like types of character motivations? Oh, by the way, this, this, by the way, this, this wasn't split. just like a fuck you from the GM, both the players and the handler had told him not to do this. <laughs> yeah. There's something that's to good. be said there when, when you telegraph the danger and they go and do the dumb thing anyway. Is, is this something to be said? This is your own fault. You have no one to blame but yourself. Yeah, Kevin isn't here to tell us, but what is it he always says? Bad dice rolls shouldn't kill uh, characters. Bad decisions should. Yeah, that was a bad Something one. Like that, yeah. Something like I was lies. thinking, this is war. Survival is your responsibility. That's melon. That's all our meme meme phrases are in here. The memes are piling up. 
Um, that that we, we haven't really talked about it this segment, but uh, like the RPG social contract, you know, uh, you shouldn't fuck with your players every time the party needs to be split because then soon they're gonna fall back into that whole trope of never splitting the party, right? That's true. Something something Pav- Pavlov's dog. Is that Pavlov's dogs? Or am I confusing that with another one? You're doing some sort of conditioning there for sure. Uh, rewarding them with good when they do good and uh, punishing them when they do bad. Or not, I guess, since that just directly contradicted my earlier advice. Well, I mean, no one's really listening anyway. Well, that's a good question, though. When is it a good time to put something on them when they've split the party and when is it not? Like, uh, well, when is it fair or when is it fun? I think that um, you should, when you're designing a scenario, be conscious of um, when the intended resolution or the resolution that makes the most sense or the resolution that like uses the most scenarios content is to divide the group up. And if you're doing that, then you need to have some way to send that information to the players so that they don't think that wandering off is will get them killed. And my example of that that I think of is... Um, Lover in the Ice. Lover in the Ice is a scenario where there's a point where you're very clearly intended to break off into two different groups because in order to to handle uh, two threats that emerge simultaneously. I thought it was intended that you would have to sort of pick one. Oh well, then we must have handled it wrong because we had enough we had enough guys with guns and the skill to use them that we were able to send two kill teams out and uh, get rid of both. Problem solved. Problem staying solved. I think the RPPR original playthrough of that scenario also. They split up and were able to field two kill teams and take all the monsters out, but they ended up leaving a lot of witnesses at the same time. You mean they hold their players accountable? Is well, that, no, actually, because RPPR also mostly runs one-shots. Well, they did get held very accountable in the sense that the scenario ended with Delta Green air striking them as they tried to get leave down. Nice. That's the uh, Hellfire Missile Retirement Plan. Wait. <laughs> yep. No, you can't. Well, I guess I guess you can launch airstrikes on American citizens on U.S. soil now. Thanks, Obama. Ew. Well, that was that was one of the criticisms at the end. Was that yeah? That's not a very Delta Green thing to do. That didn't make a that lot of sense. I know it's cool image. It was meant to be a training, and how do we know that there was a live round on the drone? <laughs> you were just training to. Sh- you were training to shoot U.S. citizens with drones. Uh, look, man. I, all I know is I'm a skill to have. I'm a humble drone pilot, and I was I was told that we were practicing our uh, heat-seeking missiles in the middle of the blizzard because that's the optimal time. 29th reconnaissance wedding crashers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not even American citizens, right? One thing that can happen during splitting the group that uh, I've been on both sides of is that during when you split the party, it can be uh, common for you to end up in situations where the group. Uh, or one person is engaged in a task that they're doing kind of poorly, either because their character doesn't have the skills for it or because their player doesn't know, like, you know, what's the optimal way to handle that situation or and or, or makes a decision that the rest of the group considers to be wrong. And um, my question is always, when that happens, uh, is it entertaining? Do people find it entertaining or do they find it frustrating? Does the person who's, in, who, does the person who's on their own find it fun to be you know, in the seat where they have to make those decisions with absolutely no information and other appropriate skills, or do they, you know, find that they're being assaulted by their fellow players for something they have no control over? And do the other players think that it's, it's hilarious to watch the guy try to like conduct an interrogation when he's got, uh, 
you know, contradicting himself or whatever, or is it very frustrating for them to watch um, an NPC get clued into all their motivations while simultaneously giving away no information? And if it, it could be one of those things or the other, what are the circumstances that determines which? Damn, that's good. I think it's going to break down. It's going to depend on what type of player you have, because we've talked about it before, like players that like lean in or buy into the, the fun that can come with failure um, and that they like being put into those stressful situations. Uh, yeah, man, it's just going to depend on uh, individual players, I think. I've been on both sides of it because I remember Kevin was um, complaining about how some people in one of his games were very conducting an interrogation very poorly, and I was like making making fun of him. But then I thought about when we first played um, Extremophilia, and there was only one character who had like a law enforcement badge, so he was the one who went and talked to the FBI every time, and or FBI the um, the local police, and he would all he would go in there and he'd bully them and he'd you know lie to them, and it was really obvious, and you know it was frustrating for the rest of the group to. Uh, first of all, be locked out of the interaction because we didn't have the appropriate law enforcement credentials, but also to like essentially have the NPC faction be made hostile to us over something we couldn't control. And it wasn't like the guy's fault because he was um, he was he was playing a character in an RPG, and part of that is that you sometimes you fuck up. But it was it was a, a situation where I can absolutely understand the frustration. A lot of the mistakes that people make are. Um, attributable to other things like one of the most common ones and, I, and part of this is me because when i whenever there's like an interrogation or whatever um usually you have five people talking to one npc and so it usually goes poorly because they end up contradicting each other where one guy's like we never said that and then the other person will say yo that was the first thing i said you know the npc says that that's the first thing you told me because yeah one of them said it and, I, and at, at some point i think i'm gonna have to um uh Make, make that whole interaction more abstract because it's inevitable if you have five people talking that someone is going to, to say something that fucks the whole thing up and or like it's going to go out of order or the taxes just aren't going to work. And so I might have to just pull out and do it in a more abstract sense where you can say what question do you ask them, what's your approach, and then you know persuade whatever. Something that I've started doing is I've started, if I, if I notice the player is contradicting the team's story, I will say to them out of character, okay, are, are you aware that that's a lie? Yeah, that's, that might be good too. Because the alternative is that you just have one person connect the interrogation while the other four groups. Because that's the other kind of splitting the party. You can do splitting the party where um, the group isn't necessarily split up, but there's uh, one person who has to perform a task that the rest can observe and comment on, but not directly interact with. Oh, yeah, it's your classic uh, one-way mirror interrogation, right? You know, those I, aren't actually one-way mirrors, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. But the suspect. This is this this is this is, is the piece of glass, oh, and one room is dark, and one room has light. This is yeah, the. It's yeah. not actually a random number generator of optics. Yes. Now, um, those scenes, uh, they can be great, but they can also be real frustrating. It's the same as like the military chain of command thing. It's essentially one guy gets to make decisions and play the game, and the rest of the group can offer commentary but not do anything. It's and it's it's that same problem. And and uh, I can't remember if we if what what our solutions to that were it was a thousand years ago. Uh, leaning into it was the one that I offered. Uh, find people that like if you like running it that way, then you know, and your players like playing it that way, then that then you keep doing it. If not, you just say fuck realism and let's just have fun you know but i i guess it's kind of this uh, with an interrogation like that you know you can stage like breaks where the one person who's in there playing bad cop can go back and talk with the party explain what happened and then be like is there anything anyone else wants to know or they can tag out and good cop can go in so to speak 
Wasn't there? Oh, there was that time where um, I had my U.S. Marshal pose as a like a like a pro bono defense lawyer and go in. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a great way to involve um, more characters in that scene. Yeah, you introduce more like fake identities. Like who who here is the most convincing person that can impersonate a lawyer? Then you go in and you say, "Hey, look, I'm your defense. I'll help you out, but you have to tell me everything." Very legal, although it does happen in in real life. But it doesn't matter in Delta Green because you don't need the information to be admissible. There was a um a, a case in Australia where this one um, defense attorney had secretly been passing um pretty much every piece of information that the mo- that her mafia clients gave her to the um Australian like federal prosecutor and um when that came out. Uh, there would the main. I think which, I would, this might actually still be happening. Um, the main debate was whether they should like re- reveal her name because if if that person's name is revealed, she is going to be killed like very quickly by the by the greaseballs who she put in this situation. But like that's the law that if you um, are a criminal defendant that except in cases of um, like witness protection or whatever or, or you know intimidation and so on. I actually don't know what the Australian laws are, but that's what that's, that's the Economist article said anyways. But um, the reason I brought it up is because one type of situation where you can split the party is an undercover operation. And that's one that uh, is another case of it can be difficult to um, sort of manage the, the, the players who are forced to kind of sit and listen while the rest of the operation happens and who only get to interact if the whole thing goes disastrously wrong and they're forced to go in guns blazing. Yeah, because I feel like it's hard to keep the tension and the pacing for both parties in that situation because like one guy is surrounded by cultists or killers or criminals or whatever it is and the other person is outside uh, uh probably fucking around on a computer or with a piece of surveillance equipment or you know not really doing anything inherently dangerous so you almost have to create something for them to engage with which puts more work on you in that situation yeah it's like having have if someone out if someone waits outside in the car, do you just let that person guard the door and be bored, or do you generate um, you can you can generate like a you know something for them to do like a problem for them to solve, but then if you generate a problem for them to solve, they're gonna think from now on we always have to leave someone at the door. Oh, back to the conditioning thing again, um, and I just bring up the social contract again. Um, we can take a step back away from the table and say, hey, look, dude. I don't have anything planned for uh, happening out here on the street. Um, you should go inside. Well, I guess the or, question... Or maybe not you can go inside, but like, are you cool with being out here and not getting to play the game while the rest of your friends are inside playing the game? And they say, yeah, and that's, that's fine. Right, yeah, steer them, don't tell them. I was thinking about it with um, Bestow, because one of the problems I've had with Bestow in the past is that um, if the whole gang doesn't go into the museum, then one guy is like lurking outside with his... Um, you know, sitting in the car watching the the museum while everyone else is inside having a uh, solving a puzzle. Well, this is why I start bestow inside the museum. Yeah, you have to start bestow inside the museum. In fact, I should probably go and um, do my redo my my um, fan edit of bestow to be like that because that's better. It was Imidiarez. Imidiarez. Yeah, the way you solve that, I would imagine, is the museum in bestow has two or more exits. 
and everybody goes inside to guard a different exit, but then they all end up in wait, the same wait, no, chief, room. Chief, chief, I got it. I, know, I, like, I like that, but Chief, I got a better one. Um, in media res is when you start in the middle of the story. In media res is when you start in a Tyler Perry film. Boom. I was, I was going, uh, you go in and you kill your children and you set the house on fire just so your husband can't get them. Right, or um, like... The uh, you start in a city that's holy to Islam, and then you're in Medina Res. <laughs> God damn it! No, I don't have anything else on that. What if you were to start a scenario with the party split? Interesting. How do you decide who goes into what situation? Just kind of based on player preference, or I, I guess if you have a dedicated group, that's always like the good way to go. Like matching the people who lean into it into situations that require leaning into it. Um. I think that could work, starting off with the party split. Um, it's not any different than starting off in Medea as any other way. It's just a little bit more tricky. Uh, Melon, 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 you've done this before uh, with that one Outlook-inspired. Um, and, you know, come to think of it, there was one of my favorite Pathfinder games of all time. We started off in separate jail cells, all completely naked, and nobody had any idea what was going on. And the GM would like, you know, interact with one person enough to build some tension, create like an investigation or something for them to like move forward on and then, uh, or, you know, a decision to be made. And then he'd snap to the next person in the next cell. So yeah, you could absolutely do like a split party in Medeiros start to a scenario. I, I, I don't know that that counts as splitting the party if it's just starting everyone off in a separate place and having them like link up pretty quickly. It's involuntarily split. I think one thing that it reminds me of is the... I, I played a scenario called Red Tower that I thought was pretty good, and then I... For Call of Cthulhu, and then I I um, watched, I watched, I listened to the, the original playtest that they did on the, the role-playing show, uh, the public role-playing show, and the... Uh, they they did so one one of the things that the final scenario says is like you should start all of your people with like similar 1920s or 1930s uh like backgrounds they can all like go pal around together because in the play test everyone was different so one guy was like a mobster one guy was a journalist and so they had no reason to ever interact with each other and so they were all just following their own separate threads and so the guy running it was like all right fine um and so what he did was he had like each one of them play an NPC that was attached to the other one. So like the journalist guy got to play a, a, a button man who was attached to like the mob leader who would follow him around and shoot people. So that's a very quick and quick and dirty is probably the wrong word because it's not actually that fast to put an NPC together and call it Cthulhu. But that's a way to involve people. If you know that there's going to be long stretches where not everyone gets to be uh, in the same scene together. That's a neat trick. Um, just, involving other players as NPCs, that's what your tip was. Yeah, if there's a whole if there's gonna be a long stretch where no one gets to play together, then you can allow people to play together by um introducing temporary characters to go along with them. What's like a good rule of thumb for what constitutes like a scene or how long like one particular piece of the party gets? Because um was playing a D&D game and it was one of my wife's first times playing a D&D game and everybody was uh, arriving at a town and the DM was like everybody you can do whatever you want to do you know split up whatever and everybody kind of got their own scene but like hers was like um because she's like new to the game she's new to role playing in general so 
she didn't really have a good idea of what to do. So like my scene, I was like making a mark. I was selling some like fake watches that I'd made there. Uh, and I was running a con with one of the other, uh, one of the other players, but hers was like, all right, you found a store. So like for her, it was inherently less interesting and she didn't want to keep playing because she didn't get a good scene, you know? Um, well, I'll say this, um, uh, wandering around looking for the plot hook that the GM wants you to investigate is not a very fun introduction to role playing, but it's certainly an accurate introduction to role playing. Bam. So the question was, you know, what makes a good scene for this slice of the party? Like, how, how do you know uh, when it's time to switch? I, I suggested earlier, you know, reveal something tense or dramatic or dangerous and then switch to the other people so the others have uh, the original group has something to think about or chew over how long is enough attention for a piece of a split party uh you can just set a timer i think uh i think a good one would be at a point of high tension would uh you pull the rug out from under the players by suddenly swapping over to somebody else and that keeps them interested because now they want to get back to their characters. They want to know what's going to happen to them. I have a slightly different answer. Okay. You switch the first time a player says, uh, or let me think about that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think that's good. However, because um, I, I, I do want to reward people for uh, making the fast decision instead of thinking a long time and picking the optimal one. <laughs> instead of the good one. Right. Because I think that there's certainly a tendency in these games for... Um, at least among the people that I play with, to to really buckle down and try and think about the optimal decision. It's like how when we played, um, we can switch to someone else talking because I just said um. We can when we when we played that one game, Iconoclasts. We basically handle we you know what what is it the guy says in um, in the wire for a bunch of hard hitting gangsters y'all carried that shit like Republicans. We spent we basically played the whole thing like lawyers and carefully analyzed every decision we made and. That was why we succeeded because yeah, we, we won. were because we were very just uh, detail oriented about stuff. But it's not always satisfying to run a scenario where the players always make the optimal decision. However, one of the things about um, if if you if you defocus from people who say who you know are hesitant or whatever, then you can end up punishing those people who are just not as confident about the whole RPG thing. Which you you know there's there's a limit to how much you can do for people, but I don't want to discourage somebody just because they're not as uh, aggressive. Right. It's, it's Some people do have problems making decisions quickly, especially if they're new, right? Yeah, and also I don't necessarily want to. Um, there's 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 times when I want to like encourage people to engage in aggressive attention grabbing behavior, but there are times when I need to I need to stop that because it is it it becomes difficult to uh, to to like tear away from. Because just imagine, um, there's there, there's there's a certain there's there's a few um, role playing game, the role playing games, the tabletop war games, where rather than having an, an I go you go initiative system, uh, I'm thinking in particular of Crossfire, but I'm sure there's others that do this. Uh, you just get to keep moving units and doing stuff until something that you do fails. So you can keep moving guys until you um, enter the enemy's line of sight and, and get suppressed. You can keep shooting until you fail to have an effect with one of your shots and then initiative passes to the other guy and it's a cool system because it it means that um, you can really exploit an advantage once you have one 
or you know if you find a really clever route to move your guys through the battlefield without exposing them to being shot you can get a lot of people into good positions whatever but the downside to it is that if you fuck up then you can be there for quite some time while the other guy just beats your ass and that is often i think why people have this instinctive negative reaction to the concept of party splitting is i'm going to be sitting here you know i have four hours to play rpgs once a week if i'm lucky and i'm going to be spending two of those hours sitting there with uh you know with my phone out a beer in hand whatever while other people play the game that's why people are worried about splitting the party oh i thought of another way to do it it's like um like speed dating you know but it's like speed role-playing you just literally go from one person, ask them a question, what do you, or describe something and say, what do you do? And then you're like, all right. And then you move to the next person and you move to the next person. This is just like rapid fire. Um, probably good for scenes where uh, you're building tension. Yeah, that is a really good way to build tension because uh, switching when somebody hits the pause button to think about what they do next, like normally that would suck the tension right out of the scene, but you switch over, like bam. Hopefully you're switching to somebody who's had the last couple of minutes to figure out what they're going to do, you know? Which is supposed to be the idea of initiative-based combat systems like in D&D, where everybody, you know, you go and I go, and then the idea is that the guy spent the whole last round figuring out what he's going to do, but... Uh, instead of looking at have, memes on looking phone. at his phone, yeah. yeah. And then... You can have danger for splitting up the party as long as the characters who aren't statted out for combat still have a means to slip away from it if you let me try to run away or try to hide or try to talk my way past anybody who's coming for me then it doesn't really matter if i can't take my pursuers on in a fight because i'm using a different skill set to defend myself right so don't this this is the same lesson as um like people talk about in uh, other genres of games that you shouldn't have a monster that's faster than the player can be reasoned with and um, you, know, you don't want something where the only the only way to deal with it is to to just out DPS it unless that's like the core unless that's the game yeah yeah unless it's the core conceit of your scenario is to fight the monster then you want people to have some option besides just rolling firearms so uh, they, 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 they said the archetypal example of um, I forget whose blog it was that said this I'm going to try to remember, but I, I tried to find it before and I couldn't. They said that the archetypal example of a bad monster was a giant ant because a giant ant is faster than you and can't be reasoned with. So it just it just attacks you until you either kill it or it kills, kills you. It's like half of the Fallout games right there, though. Right. Um, and note that for all the things that were cool about the OG Fallouts, um, the combat system was not one of the better designed parts of the game. And the people who worked on it will tell you that in a hot second. Truth. Like, um, I'm not going to go into a deep dive about why the old school Fallouts were broken as hell. But, I mean, they're great games, but, you know, I'm not, and, and, and let's, let's, I mean, I'm not letting the new ones off the hook because they're not exactly, um, you know, sterling pieces of design. Hey, Todd. Um, Country roads. Buy the game. It just works. Uh, my closing thought is that you should um, not be scared to allow the players to do it if you have these tools to manage it. If you make sure to move quickly through the um, separate scenes rather than you know leaving someone out. Uh, if you know that you're going to have to have to do an extended sequence with one player off the group, you can think of other ways to help the rest of the group interact, like letting them play an NPC or something. Uh, generally either move fast or find other ways to involve the, the people who aren't um, 
in that part of the encounter. And if you want people to split up, if that's something that you want them to do, you should not immediately harshly punish them for doing it. Yeah, I think fear splitting the party just comes from a lack of information about what the opposition is capable of or what approaches they might be vulnerable to. So make that a a subject of investigation and the players will find avenues they can exploit to split up and not get ganked. So one of the things that I've discovered over maybe two or three years of running and playing Delta Arena is that I like running it, but I don't like playing it. I think that the game is... Uh, playing it is honestly pretty stressful and unpleasant. And one of the reasons why I think it's that way is that there's a baked in setting assumption that you will eventually either be killed or have to kill another player character. And that adds this layer of bullshit that I just don't want to deal with. I don't want to constantly have to watch my back or think that I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get clipped if I don't pay attention. I'd rather actually be able to focus on the game at hand instead of having to deal with that shit. And you can't remove it because it's like a baked in assumption of, a lot of the published material. It's what make, It's one of the things that makes Delta Green unique. And so while I'm sometimes happy to inflict it on other people, I would rather it not happen to me. And even when I'm happy to inflict it on other people, uh, it isn't that great. And oftentimes it just consumes even more time because all the players have to be constantly submitting their secret movements to you, the handler. So you just get completely bogged down in dealing with cloak and dagger bullshit. And this is a case where, uh, like the guy in Republic, I have discovered that I suffer more from injustice happening to me than I gain from doing it to others and would therefore prefer to live in a world that is just. How much of that do you think is a result of the environment in which you normally play Delta Green? How much do you think would be potentially dealt with in a, like a more regular group of people you're more, you're more familiar with on a, on a regular basis? I think that a regular group wouldn't solve it at all because the first time I had a, char- a Delta Green character killed, it was in a regular group. If I recall correctly, the first time you had a Delta Green uh, character killed, it was in a regular group to which you were relatively new. That's true. I'm trying to distill my own experiences playing as opposed to handling. I've also found that I generally prefer running the game to playing it, but for different reasons. Tell us about those reasons. I... Uh, let me think. I find if I'm on the player side, I become... F- frustrated if i feel like we're in a dead end like we're stuck we're not making progress we've 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 stumped ourselves uh i guess i guess i'm not used to having that lack of control being on the other side of the gm screen yeah i i'm i'm in the same place i one of the things that that usually ends up happening in mysteries is that the we get into a deadlock where the the person running the game is frustrated because we're not doing anything and we keep saying we don't have enough information to make a decision here and then they say well you'd better you better do something and then we just do something randomly because there's not like like the idealized version of it is like the gumshoe thing where if you don't have information you have to go out and gather more clues but usually when you're playing a rpg scenario you've gathered the clues that the person set out for you and they just don't point anywhere yeah or you've you've missed a critical one for some reason because you Either either it was gated behind a skill checker because you honestly just just overlooked it, which happens. That is one of the potential pitfalls of investigative style RPGs, and there are ways to work with it. Um, I'm at, on on the GM side. I encourage people to say, "Hey, we're legitimately stuck. Can you throw us a bone?" Whereas if I'm on the player side, I feel like if I'm asking that, I'm cheating. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't want to ask that. You've you want to solve some... it on its own terms. Yeah. 
Yeah. You get into some vicious arguments over what level of information players are entitled to uh, with regards to Gumshoe over this exact question. Well, my only arguments I've gotten into regarding Gumshoe is how the fucking game works, but we're not going to get into that. Yeah. But how the fucking game works is, I think, the the object at issue here, which is yes. what is the appropriate way in, let's say, in Delta Green to, you know, what 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 do you do if if you find that the the players? I think we we've done a segment before on on what to do if you get stuck, and there's ways that you know ways for the player to unstick and ways for handling unstick it. But in in reference to this specific segment of what do we enjoy running the game, playing the game, etc., I'm kind of in the same boat as you, where uh, I get annoyed as the handler when the players get stuck but then there's at least stuff i can do i can have the npcs do something interesting i can find some other way to advance the story if i'm a player and we get stuck then like if i had if i had a way out then we wouldn't be stuck in the first place so then it usually i usually just sit there in silence and wait for someone else to suggest something because uh if i when i suggest something it's usually like go black bag an npc and hit them until answers fall out and i've described on at length in this show how about how i don't like that when the players do it and so i'm trying to avoid the bad behavior that i don't like right yeah i've you guys know me and how i play and how i try to i try to avoid that whenever possible i I explore every alternative before i get to that like i'll i'll comb over a, a crime scene like in detail and, and quiz the GM about like where, where the drawers are positioned relative to the angles of the walls before I start beating up NPCs. And that's also irritating because then if I'm, if I'm just on a fishing expedition, then, then the guy who's running the game, he can't get kind of frustrated with me. Cause like, well, what the fuck are you doing? Why do you need to know this information? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you a story though. Um, related to me on the player side of the screen, you guys are familiar with the scenario dead letter. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So for the benefit of listeners who might not be dead letters of a classic Delta Green scenario from the olden days, it's uh, it involves the Karatekia. It has a reputation as being a scenario that's not particularly interactive. Uh, it's, it's one of the ones in which uh, there is an unkillable enemy bad guy who the scenario text specifically says, don't let this guy die. And you can, you know, people have opinions about that, but we're not going to get, that's not the, that's not the point of the story. Um, in this particular story, uh, I'm a player. I'm running for a friend of mine, longtime D&D GM, who at my buddy's wedding, I got this guy drunk and I got him to promise he'd run a Delta Green game when we got back. But that's another story, maybe for the after show. Um, so he's run, he runs this game. He picks this this one scenario uh, and he, he's running Dead Letter and I'm playing through it. And I haven't read Dead Letter because uh, I, I gave him a list of scenarios I hadn't read and he picked one off of that. So this is a scenario I'm not familiar with other than I know people don't like it. But um, we're trying to investigate this. Uh, the, pre- the 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 we're trying to investigate this thing. Uh, zombie dog head leads back to a biomedical research facility in. Honestly, I think Montana because every fucking DG scenario is in Montana. But we're and we're we're pulling at strings. We're uh, we're we're following up on things. We're not getting a whole lot of headway. Um, and eventually. Around about the time the Germans show up, I realize, um, based on what's happening and based on what I'm hearing, I go, oh, you know what? This is a scenario in which if we just step back, things are going to resolve themselves. And then so my in-character decision becomes, guys, there's fucking German sorcerers, Nazi sorcerers hanging around. They started this thing. They're about to clean it up. We need to get out of the blast radius before that happens. Okay, and we've talked, yeah, yeah. And we've, we've talked about, um, we have talked, to, we have mentioned on this show that scenarios in which if Delta Green doesn't get involved, things turn out better are 
not uh what's the word we've talked about it in the, at the abstract and i remember we had or may, many of us had agreed that that's not particularly interesting narratively because like why why bother so anyway so that's a situation in which i got stuck in which i'm grasping at straws and in which ultimately the outcome is the same had i not showed up at all and yet i had a lot of fun with it i really enjoyed it yeah that sounds cool i think the problem with uh kind of solve themselves scenarios is that they might not prove very satisfying once you realize what's going on but that sounds like a really cool in character dramatic turn of you realize that's what's happening and now the tension is okay we need to extricate ourselves from this horrible situation there was a great sequence where um reinhardt galt the uh the the a big bad guy with the ring of invincibility um he's he's escaping in this helicopter and we managed to bring him down he crashes and he busts out an anti-tank rifle and kicks our ass with it because we're in a helicopter too with us and then um after much exchange gunfire there's just like all all of, all of the gu- all of the the heavy weapons we've been throwing at this guy have just torn up his clothes so he's just like buck naked in the middle of the night and then he's our, our helicopters crash we're crawling out of the wreckage and he's just like well time to go he's he walks off towards like uh a rail track just as a train that happens to be passing and then like grabs it and jumps on and then just this this perfect example of the of the Aryan master race just riding a train buck naked in the middle of the night is is, is where we ended what the fuck so yeah what that is certainly a statement what was this meant it's a good it's a good statement what was this meant to prove in the context of playing versus running the game um that we were in a situation that i had previously thought would not make for a very fun situation which is contrary to many of the game design paradigms that i myself strive for when i write and run scenarios and despite that i had a good time Uh, it was a memorable experience it was a lot of fun i enjoyed myself yeah you know what a part of it is that uh that's a scenario that's written according to an older philosophy which is just write a big list of stuff that happens if the players do nothing and then it's on the players to interrupt it at some point because that scenario has an extremely elaborate descriptive text of like if they go to the zombie factory and if nothing happens then they go like back to the first npc you meet in the scenario and eat her brain to discover all her secrets and it's all this stuff that would never happen unless the players were literally doing doing nothing like deaf and blind and dumb but it is like you said fun to actually insert yourself into this sequence and i'll tell you what else um it's all it was also uh a group in which I'm very very familiar with all the people there. I've known them for years. And uh part of the table culture is that we don't uh we don't turn on each other, regardless of whether or not it may be a baked in assumption to the Delta Green setting. Part of the unstayed assumption of our table is that uh all all of we are all comfortable our characters are all comfortable with each other enough and trust each other sufficiently that Barring exceptional circumstances, uh, turning guns on one another is not an outcome that's likely to occur. And that's not something we've ever, we've ever discussed aloud and agreed on. That's just, that's just sort of the dynamic between us as players. Okay. Uh, is there more for, for Will, or, or should we ask Tom whether he enjoys running or playing the game? I, I want to hear a Tom story. Uh, what, what, Tom, what are your thoughts on running versus playing? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe a little bit stronger for running, but not that much more. I feel like I've largely kind of moved away from writing my own stuff for a while to wanting to run more other people's scenarios or just publish scenarios. Why's that? Um, it's been the last couple scenarios I made. I was a little frustrated with. I don't think I really got what I wanted to get onto the page or into play on there. So 
just kind of more working on fundamentals, I guess, and actually having a hold of the game. I certainly understand that. I mean, you guys know that I almost never run my own content. I mostly run things that other people have written. I think I've written maybe three scenarios ever since I started playing DG. All pretty good scenarios, too. Why, thank you. Actually, that's more like five. But yeah, I, I, I very rarely write and run my own content. So I certainly understand that. How do you feel about um, being on the player side of the screen? I think I feel some of the things you were talking about, about being frustrated if I can't necessarily figure out uh, where to go next or where things are going. I've talked before about how I like to be the guy who brings like kind of a weird skill. And so I don't want to find every clue, but I'd want to be the guy who finds a clue no one else could have found. Yeah. So, you know, that's sometimes if you're bringing a niche character like that, it's a little hard to make them fit into a scenario that hasn't planned for in advance. I know I don't have a regular group either. Mostly I just play with people on the internet. So I think that would help a lot if I could find a regular group to just kind of get a groove with. Playing this, Delta Green with people on the internet. Well, what, what, what kind of where can I do this? This is a an interesting. Um, I can pick that softball up, but I actually had a, a, a thing I wanted to to talk. Please, to. please bunt the softball and yeah. hit the actual ball. So, uh, one thing that Tom is talking about here: the idea that you can be a guy with an obscure skill, and how useful is that? And will you find the clue that no one else can find? One thing that I know. Uh, is a difficult transition for people to make from other games to not Delta Green, but um, maybe Fall of Delta Green, is that in uh, the Gumshoe game series, you are generally assumed to be able to declare that you are using an esoteric skill and get a clue from that in most circumstances if you are willing to expend the appropriate resource. And that puts additional load on the person running the game because they must think of, all right, what is the guy who spends a chemistry point or a forensics point in this area get that is worthy of the point expenditure? But it also means that you can make a character that's more focused on a strange investigative uh, field that most people would not even think of to include. And I think that um, if all the pieces align, then... Uh, I don't. I don't like Gumshoe. I think that the point budgeting mechanics are needlessly complicated, and they make you feel like an insurance actuary instead of a mystery-solving man. But I do like that it is at least hypothetically designed to encourage you to make a more interesting character than something like Delta Green. Fair enough. I guess because you've got more points to spend, you can sort of cover your bases while having more specialties plus but, but plus the game also has a mechanic that encourages the person running it to let you actually use those skills to collect information even if it's not necessarily built into the scenario text i wonder almost if knight's black agents might actually be better about this than gumshoe because knight's black agents at its core isn't a game about solving a particular mystery compared to like call of Cthulhu, sorry, trail of cthulhu it's more about you're in a sandbox that's inhabited by vampires and you have to take them down one cult at a time and that yeah. situation encourages you to be more creative rather than checking the boxes on did the players use this skill at the crime scene yeah knights black agents the way it's structured is i think ken height's words are uh throwing yourself into danger gets you no sorry i have it backwards uh 
Finding out new information puts you in a danger, but putting yourself into danger rewards you with new information. And so the structure of Knights Black Agents is sort of each mystery is where do I go to get to the next fight scene or chase scene or big action set piece? Yeah, it really leans into that, uh, the pulpier investigation style, doesn't it? And the mechanics support that. There's there's lots of very descriptive abilities and, and traits and talents and things tied to, to the skill proficiencies. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of flavor in this, just in the skill system. I, I don't mean to rag on Trail of Cthulhu, but I think Knights Black Agents is a much better game. I feel like that's a particularly controversial opinion to have. I think you're right. I think in terms of just like tone and theme, it does a much better job of lodging in your brain and distinguishing itself. And actually, come to think of it, it has a lot in common with what I think is... Uh, it has a lot in common with the, the pulpier side of, of DG, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, definitely. There's some of those old scenarios uh, where you, what's what's the one that you like to go off on, Max? Where you like the space station shooting Migos? What's what's I forget how that it goes. one is called New Age. Yeah. New Age is a scenario for old Delta Green, and it's supposed to be a soft sequel to Convergence, which is a scenario that most people remember fondly, even though they don't remember New Age at all. Yes. Dennis yeah. has a fun story about convergence. Oh god. I think we got that on the recording actually about how when he when he when he playtested convergence, just the care the, the agent that he was using just had, had this weird like germophobia thing, so all he ate was like prepackaged food, bottled water. So he didn't he didn't ingest any of the protomatter and he was fine. <laughs> I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was, he was so like mad. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. I guess that character got to play until the new age. <laughs> Yeah, I guess he survived the sequel, yeah. Okay, uh, concluding thoughts. Do we have anything else we can add to that? Or I don't know. We... Is there a little capstone on everything we've been talking about? I'm not sure. I think this has been more of a reflective segment. I don't know if there's yeah. a Ref- summary in total. Stream of consciousness thing. I think it works, though. Can 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 we spin our reflections into some kind of a... Uh, what what do we? I guess, what can the listeners take away from this? It sounds like this is of a piece with our find our fun segment from a couple episodes ago. I don't remember which number. That's that's yeah. a good point. So like just play enough to figure out what about the game appeals to you and what parts of it turn you off. And if you're willing to get into GMing, try it a couple of times. Just don't base it off one game and figure out what you yeah. like in a game and try to lean into those elements. Yeah, like we, I think we've all stated a preference to being on the GM side of the screen, and I don't think any of us. I think you guys, I, you guys, I'm sure agree. I don't think that's a bad thing at all to to prefer to be on that side. Yeah, and uh, maybe there are listeners out there who are who like Delta Green but don't like being a, a player. And uh, if you haven't already, maybe you should try your hand at at being the handler. Because I mean, you know, people that run games are always in short supply. Yeah, you might surprise yourself. You might find you really like it or learn something about. It what appeals to you a little more in playing the game. And, you know, it's one of those skills where you can really only get better at it by actually doing it. That's a good capstone. Yeah, that works. Max, I think anything? that uh, most of the time there's going to be more demand for people to run the game than there is for players. But I don't know if that's always true with Delta Green. You think the ratio might be a little different? For yeah, you? I think that uh, that's that's what I've encountered. I think that that is potentially a... I, I wonder if we asked people, do you enjoy playing the game more or running it? 
if if we could get somehow a more representative sample than just the people on this podcast, what the actual situation would be like. One thing I remember, this is not Delta Green related, but I think it is interesting because it addresses the same question. There was a guy who was posting about um, different versions of D&D that he was running and how he said that he was running some kind of like ancient Grognard retro clone and he was also running fifth. And he said that uh, he liked to run the ancient Grognard retro clone because it was very easy to create content and adjudicate rules outcomes. And it was a very easy game to run, but the players liked fifth edition better because it gave them lots of cool special powers and fun things to do. And meanwhile, running fifth edition is very complicated because a single encounter requires a lot of rules references and the game is built off of lots and lots of fighting. So there's a lot of heavy lifting to do unless you're just kind of pulling stuff out of splat books or running a pre-published thing. So that idea that a game can be more or less fun for someone on one side of the screen or the other, depending on how it's set up, leads me to think that Delta. one of the reasons why Delta Green is fun for me to run the game is that it is very easy to build content for. But when it comes to actual, uh, like, what can the players get away with? The answer is not all that much. So it's that you may be onto something there, same yeah. back and forth. Oh, I do have actually one more back and forth that I wanted to do because this was a discussion that I had earlier, not on the podcast. I think that people talk about things like, oh, should the game be, you like, should uh, you expect to win every fight? Should you expect to, you know, live or die or whatever? Is it combat? Is combat a sport or is it a war? And that's one way of looking at it. But the thing that I always think of when I think about do people enjoy playing Delta Green or not is if your character dies in a very wacky, unexpected way as a result of like an emergent rules outcome of you know different things interacting in a, a novel fashion, are you upset by that or do you think that's awesome? And if you are upset by that, then you will probably not like playing Delta Green. And if you think it's awesome, you will probably like playing Delta Green. That's really the goal, trying to find the wackiest ways to kill players <laughs> that they would never expect. Yeah, yeah. M- most most of the, the fun time, the, the most enjoyable experiences I've had with Delta Green have been uh, wacky and unexpected and hilarious play But deaths. when that happens to your character, how do you feel? Um, I tend to take it in stride. Uh, I go into, Del- into a Delta Green game with the expectation of I could probably die possibly by doing something dumb that's my own fault possibly by just an unlucky roll of the dice uh i i personally as a player have not experienced very many wacky unexpected deaths i have experienced a few deaths due to bad rolls and i've you know i've, I've taken those in stride uh i have played other games where well i've i've played other games where i've had character deaths due to other players doing shit but that's I feel those those are anomalies due to the specific player in question. But I, I certainly have inflicted hilarious deaths on other players, and uh, they seem to they seem to enjoy them. Uh, Jake Jake really, <laughs> really enjoyed falling to the bottom of the the endless elevator shaft in Night Floors, uh, though he was less thrilled about electrocuting himself in Artifact Zero. Understandably, he did laugh though. So that's pretty awesome. You fall down an infinite elevator shaft into Carcosa. It was great, yeah. Yeah, he, he followed the fat man through the door, and the fat man closed the door behind him. He was like, hey, come back here. And he's like, I, I body-checked the door open. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. All right, roll strength. Succeeds. All right, you burst the door open and fall into an elevator shaft. <laughs> awesome. 